Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our guest host on today's program is Pastor Larry Nackengast. We spend these 25 minutes together every week telling you the stories of our church, interviewing our members and other friends of the ministry. We have two services at Harvest every Sunday, the first service at 8.45 a.m., the second at 10.45 a.m. We'd love to see you at either service. We do have Japanese and Korean translation available during the 10.45 a.m. service, and that's also when we live stream. You can find that on hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. This week, Pastor Jake Schnoor will be speaking. Let's begin today's Harvest Time by welcoming Pastor Larry Nagengast. Afaday, Chris, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, welcome to Harvest Time. And it's my privilege uh, today to interview my big sister, Dr. Linda Norell. Uh, I'm going to call her Linda for the interview, but uh, Linda's been practicing medicine for 44 years in the Flint, Michigan area. And uh, she's a committed Christian, loves to serve the Lord by serving people. And uh, she is our guest speaker this week at our ladies' seminar, which is Saturday at Harvest from 8.30 to 3. And then she'll also be speaking to a number of our uh, ladies' groups and girls' groups throughout the ministry. So it's great to have uh, my sister Linda here. Welcome, Linda, the program. Thank you. And so we're going to get right into the interview, and I've got a few questions here that I hope will uh, be a blessing to, to you as you get to know more about Dr. Norell. So first of all, Lynn, what made you want to become a doctor? When I was 14, I was having the worst day of my life. One of my girlfriends had started to have a boy-girl party, and she told me I wouldn't fit in. So I spent the uh, math class in the bathroom crying, and later on that week, my mom and dad asked me to do the chore I'd been doing since I was 10, which is clean the bathroom. But I was so upset. I ran into my room, told them nobody loved me, and I was just going to kill myself. Well, I slammed the door in my bedroom, which was not allowed in my house. My dad followed me, opened the door, and said, you know, Linda, if you've done what God put you on earth to do, go ahead and kill yourself. But just in case you haven't, you might want to make a list of what you do well and see if you can serve the community doing that instead of feeling sorry for what you don't have. Well, I stopped, obviously. I had a bottle of aspirin. I was ready. But um, I made my list, and there were only two things on it. The only thing I was good at was school. Teachers liked me. Kids did not. And I was a good babysitter. So I looked at those two and thought, what in the world can you do with your life with those two things? And I realized the only people I knew that went to school their entire life were doctors. And this is 1968. There's no doctors in my family. Nobody in my family ever went to college. And yet I went out and I told my dad, I said, okay, I decided I'm, I'm going to be a doctor. And he said, that's okay. If you want to be a garbage collector tomorrow, just be the best one. And he never missed a beat. My mom never missed a beat. And, and so I just started to decide to be a doctor. And um, God did the rest. I was not a saved person at that time, though. So that was my plan. And... Um, when I was 17, I applied to the U of M, and they offered me a program where I could be admitted into med school out of high school. And I threw the application away and went to school the next day and told my advisor, and she said, get that back out and fill it out. And so I just had a lot of help from a lot of people that God put in my way before I ever knew him. So it, it was purely selfish. I just wanted a way I could go to school. 
fortunately, I've loved every minute of the pathway, but I started out because I just was good at school. Yeah, I think we all start out on a pathway that we're not sure where it's going to end up, but people, parents, good parents, and Mm -hmm. of course the Lord Mm -hmm. directs us and uses us even though we make sometimes decisions in in a selfish moment. Absolutely. Well, uh, then, Len, I think one of the most exciting stories uh, Len has to to share today is is how she came to Christ and then a little bit about how that's affected her medical practice. So tell us a little bit how you got from 14 and and, uh, selfish to to Christ and then on through to how that affects your medical practice. When I uh, went away to college, I was very proud. I had written an essay to the U of M to get into this program that I had been successful at everything I tried, so they should have me in the program because I would make it a success. So not only why I was selfish, I had quite a bit of pride going. Within two weeks of entering the U of M uh, dorm system, um, I was attacked on the street and I thought I was going to die. I got away. But I went into the dorm supervisor and told him what had happened, and he said, well, that's how things are down here. And I never told another soul. I just kept that inside. But I was thinking about dying. It wasn't the last time that I was bothered or molested. We had co-ed showers, and the men thought it was appropriate to come in and help us, whether we wanted their help or not. Mm. It was an extremely challenging time, but I never told anybody. So the first time I came home was the weekend after Thanksgiving. At the same time I was going through that, Dad had been invited to church. He was a conservative politician, and somebody at work said, if you really want to know how the end goes, you need to come to our church. And Dad goes, your preacher talks about this? And he goes, he does. So November 19th, even though Dad was invited in June, November 19th was the first Sunday they went to a Bible-preaching gospel church, and they both got saved, Mom and Dad got saved. I came home the next weekend, and I went to that same church. I heard the gospel for the first time that I can remember it. I knew I needed to get saved, and I raised my hand, but I knew it was going to mean a lot of life changes, and so I didn't go forward. But as soon as I got back into the dorm that afternoon, I can remember Dad saying, "Um, what did you think? And I said, I think I need to do that, Dad. He said, don't wait too long. When I went in the dorm, I just felt like Satan was standing there. It was just an awful feeling. So I called Mom up, and I said, Mom, I need to do that get saved thing that I heard about this morning. And she said, honey, I don't remember the details. I have to wait till Christmas. I said, Mom, I'm going to die. She said, you are not. You're perfectly healthy. Come home at Christmas. (laughs) So that was dismissed. So now I know I'm going to hell. I know I'm going to die soon because this whole crazy place that I was. And so I just prayed every night that I could live until Christmas so I could get saved. And so as soon as the—it happened to be December 24th, 1972, and as soon as the pastor was done preaching, I just couldn't wait to go down the aisle and find out how to be Mm -hmm. saved. And you remember Mrs. Joan Stevens. She led me to the Lord, and she showed me, you know, you're a sinner. Listen, I was here a couple weeks ago. I got that. Hmm. And, um, you know, she was going through, and I kept being almost, you know, belligerent about the whole thing. I said, I just need to know what to do. She said, you just have to bow your head and ask Christ to save you. I said, all I have to do is pray? And she said, yes. I said, my mother couldn't have told me that? (laughs) Anyway, so I bowed my head and I told the Lord, I'm repentant, I'm sorry, and I asked him to be my Savior. But I can remember saying to him, if you would die for me, I will live for you. Yeah, And because I had not known Christ when I decided to be a doctor, I went home and told mom and dad I needed to get out of medicine. It was it was my will, it wasn't his will. Plus I had met a girls that went to a Christian college who were safe mm-hmm. and I wanted a safe place. Right. Again, not telling mom and dad any of this. So they promptly marched me into the pastor and told me I wasn't allowed to quit. And the pastor said something that 
kept me in medicine. He said, Linda, just because you didn't know the Lord doesn't mean the Lord didn't know you. You were in a very special program yeah. in a very special yeah. place, and you need to stay where you are. And yeah. so I thought, okay, Lord, I get to go to heaven early because I'm going to die down here, but I'll I'll stay. And obviously I didn't die, and I'm grateful, but um, that's how I became a doc. As far as how it affected that once I knew Christ, then I knew that if I was to be a doctor, I needed to serve Christ with that. And at the time, I thought I would go and be Albertina Schweitzer on the mission field and live in a tent and right. eat crackers and yeah. and be a missionary. There were no female physicians that I knew. I had no role models for that. So I figured the only people that would come to me were people who had no choice. So that's the other reason I was going to the middle of Africa. And um, I was never going to get married and never have kids. And you know, the Lord saw fit to change that plan. But when, even when I met Jeff, um, my husband, he felt from the very beginning that this was my ministry, and he mm-hmm. would sacrifice and fight hard for me to be a doctor, mm-hmm. and did. So yeah, that that is an awesome story in the Nagengas family. That from a man that worked at General Motors, witnessing to my dad to him taking us to church in November of 1972, uh, four of us at home, and then Linda later, um, is, is kind of a miracle because my folks trusted Christ on the 19th, and then two weeks later, I trusted Christ. And then a week later, my two sisters and my brother, older brother trusted Christ, and then Linda came home the next week on Christmas break and trusted Christ. So seven of us in a period of a month all came to Christ because my dad at 42 was searching for the truth. That's right. And it changed our life. And so if I can say a word to moms and dads, don't ever think uh, bringing your kids to church is a wasted exercise. Bringing them to hear the truth is so, so vital, and it changed our lives, and it's really made the difference for sure in both Lynn and mine lives. Uh, so, Lynn, now you're here to speak at the – the ladies seminar which you've done a lot of these when did you start and and what do you, what what kinds of things have you have you learned over the years from doing these kinds of uh, seminars i started when i was 28 years old and um, a school administrator asked me to talk to his teachers about stress management because i had talked to him in the office and i thought i was facing 10 teachers and he was asking asking me to do a workshop at the Michigan Association of Christian Schools and the teachers just poured in poured in poured in poured in I think I probably talked to at least 150 people in that room that day scared to death the good news is they're teachers so they got to evaluate me and they (laughs) to a T they all said she talks too fast we were more stressed after listening to her (laughs) and she needs an outline and I thought good I'll never be asked to do it again (laughs) wrong Uh, they asked me the next year I had an outline and I just learned that there's a little bit of uniqueness in in uh, being a spiritually strong person which I hope that I would be and and have the medical background because I live my life sandwiched between smart humans and a holy God Mm. and being able to sort through that and um, smart humans are nowhere near I mean, God is so incomprehensible, but smart humans, as I was when I went into that program, were so proud. And yet God has a humbling for all of us. Nevertheless, the speaking part of it, I think my spiritual gift is an encourager. And while I prefer to do it one-on-one, I realize that one-on-30 or one-on-500, 
the message is the same. The life may be challenging that the Lord has given you to live, but it is doable through his power and only through his power. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter how easy your life looks to somebody else. Nothing is easy for us, Mm -hmm. and it's not supposed to be. We're in the world, but not of the world. So I would hope that my speaking ministry is one that I do out of fear. I cried all the way through ninth grade speech class. This is not a natural gift, but what the Lord calls you to do, he enables you to do. So this is all glory to God that I do it at all, because I I like one-on-one. Right. But anyway, so as far as that goes, I think women are women everywhere. I did a lady seminar in India, and they got my marriage jokes, and it was so reaffirming for me that, that women, <laughs> women struggle with a lot of things in common in any culture in any place. Mm-hmm. And so um, the Bible is always true, and the Bible is the only place that we have answers. It's not in our culture. It's yeah. not in anybody's culture. So I can I can present that pretty pretty emphatically. Yeah, it's so neat to have someone who has had your experiences in the medical world teamed with your Christian experiences and your knowledge about God to be able to help ladies all over the world. And and uh, again, this is going to air Friday. If you hear it Saturday or Sunday, it's a little late. But if you do hear it Friday night, it's not too late to come to the ladies' seminar at Harvest at 8.30 to 3 on Saturday. And maybe you can only stop in for a little bit. That's okay. It'll be well worth your while. And I'm so thankful that Dr. Morales joined us. Well, we're going we're gonna, to uh, just kind of move in another direction now. And uh, Len, I know this is a sensitive area for you and and many of our listeners who have lost a spouse, but uh, Jeff, uh, Linda's husband of how many years? 44 and a half at the time he passed. 44 and a half, passed away four years ago this month. And pretty suddenly, really, and uh, and I just want Lynn to talk a little bit uh, about h- how she's handled the grief, of course, with God's help, and and what you can share with your listeners about this part of the journey. Well, when the Lord uh, the Lord allowed Jeff to be diagnosed with a, a leukemia that I've never seen anybody live longer than two weeks with, and we actually had Jeff for three weeks, and he was the happiest guy on the cancer ward for a week. The nurses said, does he know? I said, oh, he knows. But Jeff struggled with fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia for 30 years and was in pain and suffered, but he made that his ministry. And uh, he was a Bible scholar. He was a Ph.D. magna cum laude in Bible, and I was a lazy Bible student because I could always ask Jeff anything. But in those three weeks that he he lived, um, it was a testimony to God's grace of all of it. But after he passed, um, I think one of the things that didn't I didn't realize about grief was that there's a guilt with it. And it doesn't matter how well you did things, whether it was at the end or whatever, I could remember all the not-so-great things I did as a wife, and so there was a guilt there. But um, one of my pastors uh, reminded me of Psalm 139, and he said God knew from the very beginning of Jeff's life he was going to die at this time and in this way. Mm -hmm. He also knew in your life that you would be a widow at 65. So I thought I'd have more years, but God had always planned this. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't necessarily of my doing, but it was his plan. The other thing uh, that I was consoled by is um, I was reading Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband much younger than I did, but she suggested that you don't stop ministering. Get in maybe a different ministry if you were in a ministry with your husband, 
and serve there. And um, Jeff and I had, while we ministered together in our family, and Jeff was incredibly supportive of my ministry as a doctor, we, we didn't have a lot of ministries we did together. But at the same time, I wanted to go in a different branch than I'd ever been, and I started to get involved in Reformers Unanimous, which is in a faith-based addictions counseling that I had been headed for for two years, um, and they didn't know Jeff. Mm. And so I was there in my, my own self, and I didn't have to have the ghost of Jeff with me mm. all the time, and it was kind of freeing mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And um, so I poured myself into that as well. And I, I kept in the office um, a lot of, you know, a lot of my patients didn't know Jeff and wouldn't, and we didn't let him know he passed. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, it made it easier for me, even though that was kind of lazy on my part. But since then, I've been able to use it as just another witnessing tool. My whole practice of probably 2,000 patients, half of them are believers and half of them are not. And I have an urgency now mm-hmm. with Jeff's passing I had always kind of categorized them into their near death. I better get the get the message out, and if they're young and healthy, I'll wait on them. I just realized I could be gone tomorrow, yeah. and I need to witness to everybody today when I have an opportunity. And I've mailed more tracts. I still haven't found a way to take the time to minister to people in the office very well. But boy, if you get any kind of a signal of a spiritual yeah. uh, footstep, boy, then I can follow it up with a letter and a tract and. Um, it's it's just much more urgent since Jeff's passed, and I think that's yeah. a good thing. How much uh, that? Thank you, Lynn. That that's very helpful and very uh, very special because there's a lot of grieving people all over the world, and we all need help, encouragement, and hope and support that there is life after loss. And um, what what I said at, even at the funeral to people coming in is that again this was Jeff's appointed time and his work was done. And he got to go home. I am not home. My work is not yes, done, right. and I need to be about it more yeah. diligently. Yeah, that, that's that's well well put, and it's and so important. Uh, I want to visit your medical practice for just a second. How uh, can you just share some stories of maybe some people? We know that a lot of times people come in with physical illness, and really, uh, it's spiritual. I mean, it's it's discouragement, it may be depression, it may be any number of things that are a little more spiritual. In And, and that's such a blessing to come to a doctor that knows the spiritual side of things. Can you, can you maybe share some ways that you've been able to help people? Uh, and we know you've helped people physically. We know you've helped people medically. Uh, but how, what are some ways that you've helped people um, Spiritually, I, I guess. I think in a spiritual basis, though, a lot of it is just um, sharing the gospel. I think uh, I did OB for 25 years and delivered a 1,000 babies, and every single one of those was a miracle. And I had yeah. the opportunity to point out to those families that this is not by accident. There are no mistakes. We've had babies who uh, only lived a couple of hours. We've delivered babies that only only uh, lived a couple of days. And, of course, the vast, vast, vast majority are healthy miracles. Amen. That, But they are miracles. And it was such a privilege to be in a delivery room and have that chubby mama turn into two people. It, it's, yeah. it's never failed to make me appreciate how great God is. On the other side of things, um, I can remember a lady that actually was early in my practice, and she came to me with depression and ended up going to a church that preached the gospel. And once she got saved, she didn't have any depression. Mm-hmm. 
she didn't have any depression. Um, and there are several people like that. I had an older lady who had come several times, chronic depression, um, not an easy life for her. And uh, she said to me one time, she goes, I want what I've seen. She says, I want I want to know the details of, of how you are the way that you are. And Jeff and I got the chance to go to her home, and, and she ultimately was led to the Lord. Amen. She's in her 80s. She's part of the RU program and is still memorizing her late 80s, which is a rebuke to me yeah, in my late right. 60s. Quit struggling. Right. It's doable. Um, and, uh, you know, so the last 15 years of her life, but her family has been able to get saved, several of them. Wow. And, uh, the you know, you, you can just see that these seeds that we plant, I, I don't get discouraged because they're not picked up right away. My 20-year-old still can't wrap themselves around the idea that smart humans aren't the end of it. Mm-hmm. But you plant those seeds and you live your life, and uh, you pray that the Lord allows it to bear fruit. But um, I think in the world of depression, uh, just recently, even over the past 10 years, you know, our medicines work maybe 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. There is so much more on a spiritual. And even people who have a spiritual walk can get physically depressed, and they're confused as well. So I think the the fact that, that you or that I can have some grasp of both sides of this. Yeah. You know, nobody comes tattooed that this is physical, this is spiritual, this is emotional. Right. But when you present that to them, now they have, I tell them, if you have spiritual work to do, I can help you, but I can't solve that problem. You have to deal with God. Yeah. And um, I especially especially know that when, you know, our world wants to wants a pill. Absolutely. And, I was just going to say that. Yeah. that uh, please just give me a pill. Want, yeah. yeah. And I don't want to do that work. Okay, yeah. well, you know, you're on your own, kiddo. I've tried to get out of tight places without going to the Lord, too. Yeah. It just doesn't work very well. Yeah. So... I think so much of our mental aspect, and I think this about the grieving, is is remembering and being thankful for what we have instead Absolutely. of focusing on what we don't have or what we think we deserve. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that uh, just the thankfulness for what we have is so helpful in mental health instead of that other. There's a believing a neurobiologist that wrote a book uh, quite a few years ago, but she talks about how our thinking patterns can take our chemicals away or put them back. Wow. In the medical world, for the first 30 years I'm in practice, we thought you were kind of captive and a victim. Yeah. Not true. We have our God who has made our brain, and he can replenish things yeah. that Amen. us smart humans think we're stuck. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know how physicians who do not believe and and the holy God function on a day-to-day basis with the train wrecks that we face. I yeah. mean, every patient that dies is now, I've been at this so long, they're my brother or my sister or one of my kids right. or my grandkids or, or uh, you know, they, they take the life out of you. But at least from the very beginning, I've, I've known I need to stay on the side of God. And if he chooses to take somebody, that's not necessarily my failure mm-hmm. either because otherwise you can, you can get depressed. Yeah. And, and knowing they're with the Lord, what a, what a difference it makes when you yeah, let somebody amen. go and you know they're with the Lord. But yeah. When you see death as much as you do as a I doctor, do. Absolutely. You, you just are, are so excited when but they know the Lord. It reignites your own faith, though, because yeah. I can remember witnessing to a lady as she was yeah. passing away, and she screamed out, don't tell me about that God, and died in absolute mm. misery. Oh, and when you see that, you know the difference in people who die with the peace of the Lord yeah. and the people who don't. It, it just reaffirms what, yeah. what I already know. 
for sure. Anyway. Linda, thank you so much for giving us some time today and coming to Guam. It's been wonderful to have my sister here, and uh, we're excited about the opportunities this weekend and the weeks to come. And we hope you, if you listen to the broadcast today and if, if you are wondering about where you would spend eternity, uh, please come hear the truth at Harvest Baptist Church. We'd love to have you visit. And uh, again, if we can help you in any way, uh, please uh, come by and see us. This is Pastor Larry Nangas. I'm setting in for uh, Pastor Gary Walton. And uh, thank you for joining us today on Harvest Time. Yeah, we do want to thank you again. And of course, at this point in the program, invite you again to services at Harvest Baptist Church. There are two services on Sunday mornings, 8.45 a.m., 10.45 a.m., We'd love to see you at either service. We do have Japanese and Korean translation during the 10.45 a.m. service, and that's also the service we live stream at hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. Thanks again for listening to Harvest Time.